Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Wednesday Three Martini Lunch. Got to tell you up front, they're all crazy, though. However, we are brought to you today by Ernest, and that's definitely good news. So, Jim, let's get to crazy number one, and it's actually a double-fisted crazy, which could possibly be easily confused for a bad. Uh, First of all, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has found out that more than 752,000 Georgia voters who cast ballots in November in the presidential election did not show up again for the Senate runoffs two months later on January 5th. As we know, those were two pretty tight races. And as they looked at the demographics and where those missing votes came from, northern Georgia and southern Georgia, generally very favorable to Republicans, saw a major drop-off. So it's almost guaranteed that uh, that that hurt uh, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler and uh, definitely was a contributing factor to the Democrats controlling the U.S. Senate now. However, as the search for fraud continues, we do have one investigation going on in Georgia. And Jim, the writers of 2021 are really off to an aggressive start here. Lynn Wood is being investigated for potential voter fraud. And that's because he has admitted to living in South Carolina for several months prior to the election and including the election. And uh, the investigation is ongoing as to whether that made him an ineligible voter, which he said he was a voter in Georgia in November. And so uh, if he's the only person they can find who was a fraud, there are probably others. But if he made this huge stink and uh, is found out to be an illegal voter, it would be the perfect capstone to his lunacy and grift. You know, Greg, I will observe that uh, there have been a lot of really wild and crazy twists in you know our political cycle over the last year or two. Uh, no one will really ever top the writers of 2020. I think the writers of 2021 are kind of reaching into the grab bag of cliches at this point, because how many times have we seen on Law and Order the person who's most fervently accusing somebody else of the crime was in fact the person who committed the crime? The guy who's screaming, voter fraud, voter fraud, but he himself was committing voter fraud. It's not quite as surprising a twist as as they necessarily think. Now, Now, we should point out there are a lot of people who have uh, residences in more than one states, uh, more than one state. And by itself, you know, uh, I, I, most states consider wherever you spend, I believe it's more than half the year, uh, is where they consider you to be a resident. That's where you're supposed to be paying your, uh, your state taxes to. And, you know, more than an email will probably be needed. I think it'll be a question of where is he registered to vote? Did he vote in South Carolina? Um, can you prove he was spending more than half the year in there? So this, and, and look, when you are known for really going after state officials, um, you know, some people are going to say, ah, this is, you know, payback or something like that. Look, if the evidence is there, they will indict them. If the evidence isn't there, they're not going to indict them. I think the bigger and more troubling and strange question is that Lynn Wood comes along with this story of, the election was stolen and your your vote didn't count and the voting machine changed your vote or something. And so many people seem to believe him. Uh, so many people. And then when he said, don't vote in the uh, Senate runoff elections, it appears some people heeded his words. It appears some people trusted him. Uh, and that's why Republicans lost. Now, it's a, a very narrow loss, particularly in that uh, Purdue Ossoff race. But, you know, it, it, and when the margin is that close, you could point to a whole bunch of different factors. But I think having the president of the United States so completely focused on the notion that he had lost and having these people who claim to be acting on behalf of the president running around saying 
the elections are rigged, the elections are rigged. That clearly didn't help Republican get out the vote opera- operations and enthusiasm. And that is a likely factor, uh, probably a likely decisive factor in why Republicans are not in the majority in the Senate when they had a really excellent chance of keeping the control of the Senate after election night 2020. Amazing. Amazing. A guy who wasn't even on the political radar screen. He was obviously a famous attorney, has been for a number of years, but he just kind of parachuted in almost uninvited. I don't think Sidney Powell recruited him. Uh, I think he just volunteered to be a rabble rouser in this whole thing. But he's the one who specifically said, don't you vote for them if they don't do exactly what we want to. We don't know how many people didn't vote because of that. There's usually a drop-off from a presidential race to any other race, and so we won't know exactly. But uh, he certainly didn't help. And uh, every time the Democrats managed to muscle something through in this 50-50 Senate with Harris as a tie-breaking vote, thank Lynn Wood. He's definitely a contributing factor to all this. Before we jump to the next topic, uh, Greg, I just want to throw out, you know, the, I'd seen this story a day or two ago, and it's uh, it's confirmed in the bottom of uh, most of the coverage of Linwood today, the Georgia State Bar asked him to take a mental health evaluation uh, before they want, I guess they want to see the results of that before they decide on whether he should be able to continue practicing law in the state. We can make fun of him. I have a great deal of irritation and anger at Linwood. I think he has misled people. I think he has fogged up the discussion of the 2020 election. I think he lies. I think he makes up stuff that has no basis in reality. But I also recognize the possibility this guy might really have mental problems. He might really have lost touch with reality and he may genuinely believe all of these cockamamie things that he's saying. I'm a little unnerved and surprised that there's nobody around him to say, hey, Lynn, you're not making sense. Why don't you go talk to somebody? Why don't we get you checked out? Let's see if you've had a serious blow to the head in, in recent uh, weeks or something like that. Because, you know, most there was, he was not always this kind of way. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to do something as severe as the guy down in... Uh, Tennessee, who blew up downtown Nashville because he believed in lizard people. But you'd like to think that, you know, if you begin saying things that sound utterly off your rocker, that somebody would pull you aside and say, uh, we, we need to get you checked out. You don't sound right. You don't sound like yourself. You're in a bad place. So maybe this is some issue going on in Linwood's head. And we would be better off if this was, uh, you know, able to sort out that way. So as much as I'm angry at the guy, and I think he's been very harmful, not just to the Republican Party, but to the country as a whole and to our belief in our democratic system, um, maybe this is all a mental problem and, and hopefully it can be all sorted out that way. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were cheering on Linwood because he was representing Nick Sandman and uh, the Covington Catholics as a result of all the horrible media coverage they got. And and now Nick Sandman's even fired Linwood. So uh, a lot has changed here. All right, uh, Jim, we do have good news, as I said, and that's that there is help for your student debt situation. Thanks to Ernest, because, uh, look, uh, it's time to break out of the student debt cycle and there are ways to make it easier. Ernest can help you by refinancing your student loan. Ernest offers low rate student loan refinancing and you can check your rate risk free in just two minutes. With Ernest, you get radically flexible payments and you can pick your loan term. By refinancing, you can reduce your loan term, save money or combine multiple loans into a simple monthly payment. And if you have questions, you can even talk to a real live human being at Earnest for help. Now, isn't it time you stopped feeling overwhelmed by your student debt? 
And you know what? Interest rates are really low right now, so there might not be a better time to refinance. Check it out. Ernest is giving Three Martini Lunch listeners a $100 bonus. Refinance your student loans at earnest.com slash martini. Terms and conditions apply. Once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you visit earnest.com slash martini to refinance your student loan. Not available in all states. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Jim, we were just talking about Lynn Wood and his possible break with reality. Well, there's a suggestion now from a New York Times writer that we need a reality czar. Yes, a reality czar. George Orwell is kicking himself for not coming up with that one. The uh, writer's name is Kevin Roos, and he says that given all the misinformation that uh, was out there about the election and maybe vaccines and other things, he says we've got to have a major uh, counter effort to confront all this stuff. And so uh, one thing is to assess the depth of the problem. Also, appointing a reality czar who would confront, and he even says uh, it it risks sounding a little dystopian, but he says there are experts out there, experts uh, who say that the federal government's response to disinformation and domestic extremism is haphazard and spread across multiple agencies, and there's a lot of unnecessary overlap. And so I guess they want to streamline that. Uh, And further down, Jim, uh, these experts supposedly suggest Checking in on algorithms, so getting the government involved in how social media shows which posts and stuff show up in front of you. That shouldn't uh, weird you out at all. In addition to everything else, Jim, it makes me uh, smirk a little bit that uh, these people like Kevin Roos only think misinformation comes from one side. I remember a whole lot of stuff during the riots last summer about uh, how you know American history was uh, just filled with racists and we got to get rid of the founders and it's all just a... You know, just a big lie. And of course, if you go through the Democratic platform, uh, I think if you had an honest reality czar, their entire agenda would run into big problems from their climate agenda to their tax agenda to their health care agenda to a whole lot more uh, being confused on gender issues and everything else. So, Jim, what do you make of this push for a reality czar? Well, my first thought, but I said I should put this in a corner post yesterday, that anytime you've got some idea that you think is terrific, but requires you to write, quote, this sounds a little dystopian, I'll grant, but let's hear them out. <laughs> it's a sign you've made a terrible wrong turn. You need to stop, take a deep breath, get up, from, you know, step away from the computer, maybe go for a little walk, just trying to clear your head and rethink whether it's really that good idea. Because if, you, if you're finding, okay, this sounds dystopian, but people aren't going to, you know, if it's the old saying that everything before the butt doesn't really count. You know, this this good ideas don't sound dystopian. <laughs> good ideas generally sound pretty good. Second thing is that, look, the, the two examples they keep citing in this are the QAnon conspiracy theory and the belief that Trump uh, won the election and that the election results were altered by Venezuelan hackers or something like that. Both of these amount to a distrust of government. The idea that President Biden appointing some realities are heading up a federal government effort, a coordinated federal government effort to stamp out disinformation is not going to increase trust in the government, right? There's not a lot that the government can do to make people who don't trust it, trust it better, other than behave better, other than be more honest, don't get caught in lies. That includes noble lies. I'm not so sure we would have the issue with masks that we have today if there had not been the effort to tell people not to wear masks in the very first weeks of this pandemic, 
allegedly they had the very best of intentions. They were really worried about masks running out for, for doctors and, and surgeons and nurses and everyone who had to deal with the people who were going to, hosp- to the hospitals with the virus. It's understandable they felt that way. But when your initial message was, no, no, you don't need to wear a mask. You don't need to get a mask. Masks don't work. And then a couple of weeks later, you're like, oh, no, no, they really do work. And everyone should start wearing them all the time. It's not surprising that some people, they remember the first message and they either disregard the second message or they're not sure about the second message. Um, and even folks like Anthony Fauci made this, this error. Maybe they had the very best of intentions, but any time, you know, noble lies are still lies. And you know, once you get caught in those lies, you undermine the trust in that. Now, I got to tell you if, you, if you believe in QAnon, I don't think there's much, that, I don't think there's any federal panel, blue ribbon commission or, or any other type of government agency that's going to be able to, uh, to, uh, to get you to change your mind or change your beliefs. I, I do also think that like, again, we're the government and we're gonna go out and we're gonna go onto social media to make sure that people aren't lying and the realities are, will be the one who determines what's real. Like that's just feeding into people's paranoia. That's like about as, about, if you wanted to make people more paranoid about the government becoming more Orwellian and controlling speech, that's what you do. Here today, I was trying to think like what would be worse. And the only thing I could possibly come up with, Greg, is that you figured out a way to undermine people's feelings of paranoia through mind-altering chemicals, and you're going to distribute them through chemtrails. That's how we're going to take care of that. That wouldn't feed paranoia. <laughs> well, no, but you know, I don't think we can let the media off the hook here either, because while the government does lie all the time, or at least on a fairly regular basis, the media is constantly forcing a scripted drumbeat too, whereas every story has to have a villain, and that villain for four years, maybe five, was Donald Trump. If it's not Trump, it's Republicans in some fashion, uh, and it's just constant. No matter what the story was, there had to be a bad guy, uh, whether it's Trump or somebody else. And so when that's happening, it also, in conjunction with all the uh, mistruths, half-truths, and outright lies coming from government, feeds the same problem. Yeah. Again, like you know, if, if fact-checking has become something that kind of spurs eye-rolling in a lot of conservative circles, and it is not as liberals believe that you know, conservatives hate facts or something like that. So we've seen all the times that the truth on these sorts of things gets shaded slightly. And they say, well, it's true, but it lacks context or something like that. Fact-checking is unfortunately, uh, there are good fact-checkers out there and there are not so good fact-checkers out there. But And there are some terrible fact-checkers out there. But the same uh, bias or tendency to give Democrats the benefit of the doubt and to never give um, any excusing or to give any inch to Republicans, that same mentality is at work in certain fact checkers as much as the other guys. And when you see institutions like Facebook saying, no, no, don't worry, we've hired Media Matters for America to be our fact checker. It's, you know, you, you, you should not be surprised that you end up with greater, uh, you know, mistrust and distrust on the parts of uh, uh, conservatives and stuff. I mean, like part of this requires a good faith effort to listen to conservatives. And the more you shut out, you shut out, the more you freak out about, say, Ben Shapiro guest writing playbook, the more people will think, oh, okay, so the the media has no interest in listening to conservatives at all. Everything they give me is propaganda. Everything is designed to support one viewpoint. Um, You know, if you had more conservatives in the mainstream media dialogue, you probably would have conservatives be less likely to see themselves as uh, outsiders who can't trust anything they're hearing from a mainstream source. The left has had a big role in creating all this, and they assume no responsibility whatsoever. 
Hey guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media, or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations, and if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. Now, Jim, uh, eventually, and perhaps sometime soon, we can kind of eliminate the middleman. We won't need a reality czar because the computers can just correct us in real time. Let's go to our third crazy martini now and Elon Musk. Elon Musk is an interesting guy. We like a lot of things he does. I'm ambivalent on Teslas. They're way too expensive. We're fascinated with SpaceX and the launches that they've had and the reusable boosters and the boosters landing on these specific pads and so forth and uh, space tourism possibly uh, picking up eventually. Uh, I mean, all of those visionary things are, are worthy of interest. Now he's entering a different area, and I guess he has been for a while now. This is from The Hill. Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk says his brain-computer interface startup, Neuralink, could kick off human trials as early as this year, quote-unquote, if things go well. The San Francisco Bay Area-based startup, co-founded by Musk in 2016, is aiming to implant a computer interface in the human brain to help treat neurological conditions like Alzheimer's, dementia, and spinal cord injuries. That sounds a little iffy right now, but you're saying, okay, maybe there can be a use for that. But then it says, in the long term, the company is looking to achieve a degree of symbiosis between humans and artificial intelligence. So, Jim, I don't know if you've ever dreamed of being the Borg, but uh, I guess depending on who controls this stuff, uh, this is uh, a little bit fascinating, especially on the medical front. But once you get on to uh, symbiotic relationships with artificial intelligence, I think we've uh, gone past the looking glass here. What could go wrong, Skynet? (laughs) Um, So... I guess on his best days, Elon Musk is probably about as close as we're going to get in the real world to somebody like Tony Stark, right? This this Iron Man genius who uh, comes up with innovative new ideas that feels like it's bringing the future to us today. The problem is on his bad days, Elon Musk sounds like a bad scientist. And he sounds like we're just, you know, one bad day away from him creating Frankenstein or uh, some other, you know, giant robot smashing across the, the landscape or something like that. Look, if, if this can can work wonders for people with paralysis or spinal cord issues, you know, God bless them. This, this That's great. And I suppose that like part of the process of innovation is exploring directions that some people might not be comfortable with. I'm going to, it's a little bit of a segue, but I'm just going to describe. I remember being at a conference years ago and listening to a guy who was a very, very bright uh, scientist. And we were, I don't know how the heck we got on it, but I guess we're talking about uh, meat and veganism and all kind of stuff. And he observed that, like, almost any protein, the technology is now advanced that you can grow it in a vat. You you could create steak in a, in a, in a you know, petri dish. You wouldn't need to have it, you know, coming from a cow. And I had mixed feelings about that. But then he pointed out that theoretically you could then do this for all kinds of human tissues. And like, oh, that'd be really great for healing people. If you could grow some new organ uh, from a sample and grow a healthy one and replace one that's got a disease or something like that. He pointed out though, that there are all kinds of applications to this, including he pointed out legal consumption of human flesh. Now this is the kind of point where like, do I want to continue having this conversation with this guy? This conversation has just taken an odd and disturbing turn. But 
theoretically, you take your own DNA, you grow tissue, and then you could legally consume human flesh because it's not, it's not like you cut it out of anybody. It's not like it's, you know, it was grown in a test tube and you could see what you taste like. This is why people don't, like, I know scientists feel like they sometimes get a bad rap, but when they come up with ideas like this, who can be surprised, right? Who can be that shocked that people look at scientists and our stereotype is the guy with the crazy hair coming out in the, the, the white coat and, you know, Doc Brown from Back to the Future and stuff like that. Um, look, interfacing with computers, Greg, I, the phone isn't enough, really? We're not interfacing with the internet all the time? You know, I thought if you think uh, pop-up ads on National Review are bad, just wait until they start popping up in your mind. <laughs> Yeah, you won't have to look at the screen anymore, I guess. Uh, it also says that uh, Musk revealed during an interview on the private social app Clubhouse that Neuralink put a wireless implant in a monkey's brain that allowed the animal to play video games using only its mind. So uh, that's disturbing in and of itself. And Jim, you mentioned uh, how he's kind of like Tony Stark. You know what happens when people who come up with really radical ideas uh, feel disrespected? They become supervillains. So uh, <laughs> That's right. Everybody be nice to Elon this week. You don't have to get your uh, brain chip implanted, but <laughs> just kind of pat him on the head and move on, maybe. If he feels disrespected, who knows? We might be soon facing an army of cyborg monkeys or something. Yeah. Hey, Joe Rogan, do you have anything you can relax this guy? <laughs> uh, you thought Let's all stay on Elon's good side this week. You thought the first two martinis were crazy. Wow, that uh, that definitely closes it out for today. Jim, uh, as of tomorrow, I think our brains will still be our own, but uh, we'll find out. Talk to you then. And listeners, not only can you get us on all of your audio devices, soon we'll be coming directly into your brains. <laughs> Until then, you'll just have to listen to our podcast. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our friends over at Ernest, earnest.com slash martini. Also, uh, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Uh, we are very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Uh, remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Find us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.